Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner, and I'm so pleased to be joined by Kavita as my co-host today. Hi, my name is Dr. Kavita Ajmeri, and I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm committed to educating people about sexual trauma and to helping folks turn their pain into power. I'm honored to be here tonight as your co-host. We know that the contents of this podcast may be emotionally difficult, and we want to support your healing. We also encourage you to take care of your safety and well-being, so please reach out to friends, family, and hotlines for support. Additional resources can be found on the Take Back the Night Foundation website, and we will share that address with you towards the end of our podcast. Thanks so much, Kavita. Uh, today, our guest, our survivor story is with Ava. So Ava, I'm so honored and thrilled to have you join us, our listeners, and our survivors. Your story will no doubt help so many. So can you share a little bit about yourself with our audience? Yeah, I'm Ava. I'm 19, and I'm a current sophomore in college in Philadelphia. Great. And um, what brings you to your microphone to share your story? Um, it's been three years since I got out of my abusive relationship and I feel like I'm now at the point where I'm ready to like share my story and see if I can help others after listening to this podcast and I feel like that has helped me a lot and I just I want to be a part of the change. Thanks so much Ava and can you explain exactly what it was that you experienced? When I was 15 I was at this boarding school this arts boarding school and the October of my sophomore year, I met this guy who I thought was just like cream of the crop, super cool, older than me, really talented and tall. And we ended up getting into a relationship in November that started out somewhat normally, but then turned to be quite abusive emotionally, physically, and sexually for the next eight months until he broke up with me in the end of June. And when that uh, relationship began, I think it's really interesting to think about um, how it felt when it started, because some of our survivors, I think they explained, you know, it was, you know, immediately the person tried to start taking advantage and using power and control strategies. Did you feel that with this person and what attracted you to him originally? I think what attracted me to him so much was that he was just like, unavailable in every way because once I started seeing him he was in an open relationship and it seems like there was no end in sight to that but then that relationship ended and then I thought like wow this is great timing for like me to start dating him but then he ended up sleeping with like a couple other people at my school and then kind of pushing me to the side but then I think about two weeks later he like came back to me and then we started dating and I, I felt like I had won the lottery. I was like, I won against all these other girls. Like he picked me. That means like, I must be good because he chose me. But I think there were red flags from the beginning because he, I feel like he was constantly blurring the lines of consent through trying to like pressure me to doing things that I wasn't ready for because I was like essentially a kid. I was 15 and living away from home in a boarding school. And I, didn't really know any better, but I knew I that there were certain was, things. He was 18 or 17. 
He was 16 at the time. Oh, 16. You were 15 and he was 16. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to dig in on one thing and then, Kavita, you might have some more questions. But one thing you said that I really paid attention to, it, Ava, was when you said he was unavailable and that attracted you to him. Uh, what what do you mean by what was attractive about him seeming unavailable? I think I really put him on a pedestal on my mind, at least in the beginning, because I thought he was so talented and like so cool and just almost like better than me in some ways in terms of talent. Cause he was, he was a dancer and I, I thought that was pretty cool. And since there weren't many male dancers at my school, it, he was, he was like pretty up there in like the rankings there in terms of dance. And I just, I felt like if I won his approval, then like maybe I would be good too. Okay. And then as you, uh, Kavita, I just have one more question then I'd love to hear from you next, but then how did, could you speak to us, Ava, about how the abuse started? Like, can you think of the first time it happened and did you recognize it as such immediately or was it more subtle? I think it started off fairly subtle, definitely a lot of coercion, but I think more emotionally began that like he was constantly putting me down and degrading me on like my strength and specifically my talent. He would consistently put me down in terms of talking about how he was bad at certain things that I was doing in my art, like singing, acting, dancing, tech, anything like that. I was, I, he would always say I was like bad at it and just like not good. And that, I mean, that obviously hurt a lot, but then I think it turned more physical later on in terms of like, like pushing, shoving and like groping and slapping and things like that. And eventually like coercing me into doing certain sexual acts that I was not comfortable with at the time. Ava, thank you for sharing your vulnerability and strength with us. Um, you said something so important and I want to go back and talk about that. Um, you said there was a you know, blurring of the lines around consent. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was pretty clear on my boundaries in the beginning, which is like pretty shocking for like a 15 year old. So I, I do feel very proud of myself for that. But unfortunately that did not last very long because he was very insistent on these things that he wanted to do. And it became just so daily like even one time in the middle of math class, he sent me a picture of a bunch of condoms that he put on his bed. And it was kind of like, you pick which one you want to use, even though I haven't even like said that I wanted to have sex yet. It was just like a given that that was going to happen. And I just, I had to like pick a condom, I guess. And it was just little things like constantly asking me, constantly like touching me, trying to get me to change my mind. And I even have a journal entry that reads that he kept trying to touch me and I was specifically saying no. And I, I believe I kept having to say no 11 times until I either gave up or he stopped. I, I can't remember which. He was relentless. He was very relentless, especially for like a 16 year old, like really starting young. Thank you for sharing. I'm wondering if you can speak to kind of where you're at now. You had shared with um, with us earlier that it's been three years since being outside of that relationship. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. How are you doing now since you've had three years kind of removed? I think I spent 
the first six months or so not not really believing the truth about what happened, even though there were like some very like clear cut things that he had done that were like for sure abusive. But I just, I chose to ignore those because I was, I mean, I was so sad that he had broken up with me and I, I didn't really speak for the first few months. I was basically just like mute that whole summer. But now I think I understand what happened. I think last January, it really just, hit me that like he really did this to me and he he is aware of it too he actually sent me an apology text last January which is absolutely whack but right now I'm I mean I'm doing a lot of therapy and I think that's the thing that's helping the most and I'm just trying to get through my daily life and focus on my art and myself and my friends and trying to find joy in whichever places I can even if it's random things that make me happy how was that to receive an apology text? I mean, it like broke me for a few days. I did not know how to react from that, especially since our last ever conversation, I apologized to him because there had been rumors at my school about him abusing me. And I, and I was trying to shut them all down. I was like, no, no, like he could never. And I, I believe I did apologize to him saying that I was sorry that people were saying these things that weren't true and that like he would never do this to me. And that's the last time we ever really spoke when I was 16. But this apology text was almost like damning him. It felt almost like a confession that like, yes, I did do this. And like, I'm sorry, which it does not feel genuine to me at all. I think it's just a strange expression of guilt. But it feels good to know that he knows what he did was wrong. I'm sure that exactly all of the things that you said that, you know, it doesn't take away and it and it. Admit, admits to his guilt um, and yet you are still carrying the pain and doing the work like going to therapy can you share a little bit about your therapy experience yeah I I do both individual and group and I found that I love doing group because there's just this like it feels like there's a small group of people on this giant planet that understand what it's like to be going through what I went through and it it feels very good to be understood and get to hear other people. I didn't know it'd be that cathartic to get to hear about other people's experience and to like see their growth too. It's kind of like seeing somebody who's like 10 years older than me and seeing like, wow, I could end up married someday. I could end up like really living like an adult life someday, even after this abuse. I mean, I love individual therapy. It's just like an hour a week where everything is about me. And I think that's beautiful because this is not something I talk about in my life with my friends at all really but it feels like I'm exercising him out of me a little bit more every time I go. Thank you for sharing your therapy experience and you really speak to the power of group therapy because we can feel less alone and have get so much support. And in your individual therapy, Ava, or is there a particular type of therapy that um, you are engaged with um, with your therapist? I am starting EMDR in January, which I've heard really good things about, but I wanted to wait until I was on break from school. So in a few weeks, I'll start that, which is really exciting. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So Ava, you know, I, I think our listeners would appreciate since this was an extended sort of experience for you of not just one incident but multiple over over a period of time 
do you remember and can you describe exactly what the first incident felt like and was and where and who witnessed or was it isolated? Like, give us the whole thing. Like, I think the first, when it's over time, is really interesting. If it was a crescendo or, you know, a crescendo and adding of experiences and he was testing you out the first time, like, give us more of that. I think the first time must have been in December, I think, of my sophomore year. And I think it was the first time that I had really given up with him, I think, because he had kept pushing me and pushing me sexual. And it was, and it was so public too. Like it was, this was like on show for everybody to see him doing these things to me. And then this one day he brought me behind the lockers of this building at our school. And there was, there was nobody else back there. It was just him and me. And we had, we would go there a lot. It was kind of like, some sort of like mini hellscape for me with all these lockers around us. And I had been very clear in the beginning of a relationship that I wasn't ready for like any penetration of any kind, but he did not like my answer of that. He was not happy with that. And I was pretty concrete. Is like, I didn't want to budge on this. I wanted to like, wait, I didn't feel ready. It was not something I had like experienced before, but then this one day I was just, so tired of him asking all the time like every every single day it seems that I just finally was like sure like let's I it, I it doesn't matter like let's just do it Ava thank you for sharing your vulnerability with us I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more around his relentlessness and how you understood consent and maybe how he did or did not obviously understand consent. I mean, like funnily enough in the beginning of a relationship, like the first time we ever even like kissed, he, he made it like very clear. It was like, I'm so good at consent. Like I'm so good. I'm, I'm really good at that. And I, I took that as like a way that I could trust him, even though like I, I see that like as a huge red flag right now, boasting about being good at consent seems to be like a, a pretty weird thing to do. So it kind of, it led me to trust him more definitely. And I was like way less experienced than he was at the time. And he was like very eager and he, it was truly like a daily thing in the beginning. The first few months, it was just like daily asking me like to like do all these things and like pushing me to do so, like, especially in public, like, it was just humiliating for me. It was absolutely degrading as just a human being to be, have all these things be done to me in a public space. And I, I remember this one day I was in math class and I like opened up my computer and he sent me a picture of all these condoms that he had laid out. And I had specifically said like, I didn't want to like have sex. And it was something that he kept like pushing me to do. And I was like, no, like I'm literally 15. Like I'm not ready for that. But he sent me, this picture and I just I remember like my heart just like stopped because I feel like at that point it was like well I don't really have a choice now like my only choice now is like which condom do I use and he was kind of a scary guy he was a big gun owner too like in his I'd been to his house and there were guns like everywhere truly everywhere it was kind of shocking and I I I wasn't he was a very scary guy I think so I think that made it a lot harder for me to say no because I was afraid of what 
he would do to me. Like this one time in the car with him, his mom and his brother, they were talking to her about like the different ways that they were going to kill her. And I just sat there silently, not understanding if this was like a joke or not, if he was really going to like kill his mother with an arrow or like a sword. And I just, I think after that, it made me especially realize like, I can't mess with this guy. Like I can't, like I need to like back down. So I'm hearing you say that parts of him were scary and that he was incredibly persistent and um, you, you felt afraid of him. Can you share if there were more things that came up, whether it was in your thoughts or your feelings? Yeah. I mean, in general, he was like mean to me just in every way. It seems like that every part of me was bad to him. And I think eventually I started seeing that maybe I was bad at all of those things too, like singing, which is something I have always loved so much. And I was studying it at school and he would tell me that I was like pitchy off key, like wrong tempo, just like didn't sound good that like he knew better. And like, he did not like I, I was at school like to sing like I, and he was not. So I kind of, I kind of knew that he was wrong there. And I think that's actually something that made me realize that what he was doing was wrong. Because if there was one thing I was sure of when I was 15, is that I loved singing and I, and I know I could do it because I had been doing it for so long, but it was, he was just, I mean, being a weapon owner in like every capacity, having like swords on his wall and in his bedroom at his house or like a knife in his wallet that he always carried around, which I also don't think was allowed at our school it just made me think that like he could really hurt me if he wanted to. Like he punched a wall next to me one night and I had to like run away from him. Like he, he chased me down the hallway of the academic building of our school. And like, I, I've never had to run from somebody before until this moment. And it, it really, it felt like running for my life until I guess he caught me. He didn't really do anything to me. He just, held my arms and looked at me, but I think that was even enough to scare me so much. And I'll never forget that feeling of running through the hallway. And I still had to go to school in that same building for two and a half more years. So scary and incredibly petrifying. And I'm so sorry that he also made you doubt yourself in so many different capacities. I'm wondering how are you feeling about yourself now? Where are you in your journey of turning that self-doubt into fearless person? I think it's hard sometimes to get his cruel voice out of my head sometimes and recognize what is, what is him speaking and what is like the real me speaking. Because sometimes I feel like I haven't even seen the real me since before I met him when I was 15, like I'm 19 now. That was, that was a while ago. But I think figuring out what I love about myself and what I love about like the world around me and what it is I do and having people that I can really like enjoy my life with and being able to sing and not be told that I'm like bad at it. And I find that like going to the gym really helps because he was really into calling me like weak and stuff, just like physically weak. And I hated that so much because like I loved Pilates at the time. I was not weak. And now like I love going to the gym. I love lifting weights. I just like, I want to feel strong again and ensure 
of my body. So strong to have tapped into this concept that movement can be medicine um, and for regaining your strength in that way. I'm wondering um, from a psychological perspective, are there any therapies that have been a part of your journey and in the part of the healing journey for you? Well, um, my therapist that I had in high school diagnosed me with PTSD when I was 16. And I think having that be something that was sure kind of clarify that like I didn't make this up in my head like this really happened and like the effects of it are so real because I really did feel the effects even like physically in my body for like a year after it took a while for me to like even just physically recover but now I do both group and individual therapy and I I mean I love group so much and I met really incredible people through there it feels like I'm no longer like screaming into the void by myself, but I have other people to like, I don't know, scream with now. And it just, it feels good to come together with other people in like a safe and productive way and be able to like work through this. I don't like to talk about this, like with my friends, it feels gross and like dirty. And it's like, that's not something they should know because it happened so long ago. Like why should it matter to them? It sometimes feels like it's just, it's not something I want to talk about really outside of therapy anymore. So group therapy, so healing and the power of community, which is why your voice is so important um, to be with us today and to talk about your journey. So again, thank you so much for that. And you're also mentioned that you're an individual therapy. Is there a particular style or type of therapy that you're engaged with? Right now I'm just doing like, talk therapy with my current therapist, but I'm going to start EMDR in January. And I've heard really good things about that from group, but I'm excited. I'm kind of scared because I've heard it's hard and there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember about what happened. That's been a huge issue in the past few years that I just have like lots of just gaps in my memory. So I'm really curious to see what that will bring about. And I just wonder how that'll change how I view the narrative of my story. Can I ask a question about the gaps in your memory? I, I think that's worth talking a little bit more about um, because a lot of people don't understand the trauma associated with sexual violence, right? We, we sometimes talk about it in the context of war veterans. You know, they're blocking out some of the most severe pain and memories. Can you dig in a little more on what that feels like to have no memory and do you have any theories about it yourself? I mean, it's like, it's just straight up horrifying. I think there's no other word for it. To not know what happened to my own body is just a feeling I would never wish upon anybody else. But I strangely enough have my journal that I kept for most of the relationship that documents probably almost all of the significant events. Not all of them, but I, I remember some of the other stuff from the beginning. My memory definitely got worse by the end. I mean, that's spring. I really just don't remember that much and even stuff I learned in school like there were gaps in my knowledge that really did affect me the next few years in high school because there were things I just didn't remember in terms of school but reading through my old journals and reading through these incidents with him that I just had no memory of and knowing that and I, I see that it's my handwriting and I also see that it's like basically a child's handwriting reading these just terrible things that were done to this girl that happens to be me it's just, it's so scary. Like I didn't, I didn't really know that he had 
sexually assaulted me one day in like January, I think, until I read the journal and I and I read this entry about how I said no to him eleven times. I wrote eleven times, and I had no memory of that ever happening until I read that journal. But I mean, it helps me out sometimes. Like he, when he slapped me in the face, I have a detailed account of every single moment leading up to it, and. I didn't write at all about how I felt about it, but it's very factual what is written down. And that's kind of my only memories from a lot of it, but I still get to have like these new feelings about these events that happened that I just don't remember that I'm now learning about through the eyes of my 15 year old self. And it feels like I'm almost reliving something that I don't even remember living at all. Ava, what is it like to read your journal entries now? Because parts of what the journal entries have offered are, you know, some of, give some detail to those memory gaps. So while you may not have remembered them without the assistance of your journal, and when you see that in print, what comes up for you now? I see myself as like a 15-year-old writing this even though I have no memory of doing it, but I just see this scared child who was just afraid to tell anybody, but my own little journal. And I, I'm so afraid about writing the truth in it that I feel like I don't, I only state like factually what happened in each incident. And I never really write about how I feel about it, except for this one specific note I left in it after writing about something he had done. I wrote, what if we had never met? And that just makes me so sad to think that even then I knew that like, I wish that I never met him. Like I wish he was not in my life. And I'm, I'm just glad that I could figure that out in at least some way, even when I was going through it. And when you were going through all of the things that you were going through, was there anyone at the time that you trusted who you could talk with about what had happened? No, I think in terms of friends that year, I was struggling in general, but he was, he was kind of uncomfortable with me spending time with other people, which makes sense considering all the other information about him. But he was uncomfortable with me spending time with one of my best friends at the time who was a boy. He even like shoved him away from him of me at one point because he didn't like that. I was talking to him being like physically near him. And I, that made me very upset. I'll, I'll never never forget that. But I don't think I really had anybody at the time that I could tell the truth to. But this girl who actually I really did not like at the time because she had had a sort of relationship with him before we were together. I I really hated her at the time. I do not hate her anymore. I'm so grateful for her now. But she, she stood by me, literally, she would spend time with us. And I always thought that like, she's trying to like, get with him. She's trying to like, take him from me. But Last year, she told me she was watching out for me to make sure that, like, I was okay because, like, she she felt that, like, there was something wrong. And even though she knew that I hated her guts, she was, like, she was watching out for me. And we still, we're still friends to this day. And I will never, never forget all that she did for me at the time without me even knowing. Ava, I want to back up and ask you about both of the people you just mentioned because some some of our listeners are supporters and not survivors and some are just also people who may regret how they handled a situation in the past 
you talked about a male first, and he physically, can you describe exactly what he did and how it felt to you when he did it? Yeah, we were in the hallway outside of my history classroom waiting to go in, and we were just, my friend and I were having just normal conversation. We were very close, and we would talk all the time, really, and then my abuser kind of, like, came up behind me and saw us talking, and from what I remember, just pushed him, just, like, physically pushed him back into the wall and then started talking to me, and it wasn't really, like, a thing, but I just remember... I felt so guilty at the time because my friend didn't deserve that. Like he didn't do anything. So it felt like maybe I had done something like maybe I shouldn't have been talking to him because I mean, like something bad happened. Like he pushed him and that it was usually me who got that. And I, I really, it made me feel so bad that someone else was now starting to like feel the same pain. And what would you say to him now? If you could, what would you exactly say to him? To who? The, the boy who came to your, the guy who came to your defense. I think just like, thank you for watching out for me because I don't feel like anybody really was at the time. And it just, it meant so much to me to think that he was watching out for me and I, I didn't even know. Ava, you mentioned that at the time you did not have a trusted person you could talk with. Uh, you did not have a confidant. So I'm wondering when was the moment, that pivotal moment that you decided to tell somebody? Um, I was in an assembly my junior year and the speaker came to talk about sexual assault. And I, I went to this assembly and then the dean came up on stage after and was like, thanks for presenting, but like this school is a safe place. And I was like, hmm, not so happy about that because from my experience it was not a safe place and so then I think it was a week later I went into the dean's office and I told her that I had been assaulted on campus and I didn't give my abuser's name because he still went to the school and I was really worried about what would happen if I had told the truth and said his name and really opened up about what happened so I just I left really like bare bones like this happened and like you can't say that you are lying when you say that and you you just don't know what happened, which is shocking considering his abuse was so public and so daily that I find it shocking that any of the faculty wouldn't have seen something or hey, known. Before you go on, please dig in on public and everyone should have known. How, what in your mind, explain that point. How was it so public? Who saw, where were you? Give us the details. I remember this one time he he was mad at me for something. I don't, I can't remember right now what it was, but he, in front of the lockers and also in front of this teacher's office, he just like slapped me in the face out of nowhere. So outside the office, the office door, was the teacher in their office? Was the door open? Could they have heard the slap? No, I don't, I don't remember any of those kind of specifics. I I just remember him hitting me really, but it was in like basically the busiest time of day in that specific space. So there, there were people all around, but nobody, either nobody noticed or nobody said anything. So it was kind of like, it, I feel like it kind of put me on an island of some sort because 
something like very clear had just happened, but nobody, it felt like nobody even like looked over or bothered to say something to me or him or anybody. I hear you saying this happened in the hallway outside a teacher's office. You're not sure anyone was watching or you are sure someone saw it physically. Um, it was in like a, a group kind of like hangout area that was for the day students. And it was like during the day. Were there other students then? Yeah, there were a lot of other students around. around. So students definitely witnessed what you just talked about, right? Mm-hmm. And adults? The only adult I know that was in the space at this time was the teacher that was in the office across from us. And they, the teacher was looking the other way or looking or should have been observing? Were they tasked with looking? What were they doing in that space? Um, I don't remember exactly what this faculty member's position was at the school because I believe she left the year after. But I just know that her office was like in this space. And she was now standing in this open forum area with all of the other students? She was in her office at this point. Oh, so she wasn't out in the same space. Yeah, it was like, I don't don't know how to explain like the layout of this area. It's okay, but so she's sitting maybe at her desk and otherwise all the students are in this group space. Mm -hmm. So other students saw the teacher was in her office and no one was tasked to monitor the space. Mm -hmm. No adult. Is that true? Yeah. So maybe what I'm hearing you say it to anyone who has the power and control over these kinds of spaces is we can't rely on students to stand up and speak up. No one did for you, Ava. And you're a minor. You're almost barely out of, you know, you're a teenager, a child still under the law. And you trusted in this boarding school to put you first and forward for safety and no one was available or watching over that that particular space is that true or not yes okay gotcha um which i think is really important because anyone who's listening to our podcast who has the ability to change up the supervision of children in a school environment might heed, you know, what you went through, right? Mm -hmm. Ava, you talked a little bit about being in a boarding school environment and and you thought you were trusting um, the safety of the school. Um, And I'm wondering now that you've had a few years removed from being in that environment, what advice would you give to your 15-year-old self? now i think the main piece of advice i would give is that you you don't have to take anything you don't want to and like you can speak up and your body is your own it is not some random 16 year old boys it is completely yours thank you for sharing that my uh, question is also what would you share with the people who were your heroes you, you described a male and a female who intervened and you also described the complications of feeling like, I'm not sure I even like you, but you came to my um, needful self. Um, there are a lot of people on that same space listening in. 
can you share a message to our supporters and bystanders how they can best just, you know, not be scared to intervene? What would you say to them? I think that it says so much that even all these years later, me remembering this girl just like sitting by in the same place that I was, just even that little thing, just physically being near me is something that I still remember so deeply to this day. I think that just goes to show that even the littlest things can go such a long way for survivors. Thanks, Ava. Brilliant. And then if you have any closing remarks um, for what else you'd like to share about empowerment or strength or courage or fearlessness, what comes to mind? You know, I, I, I sense you're still on the journey. I, I think Ava... Ava, you've been through so much, um, and you've lacked a lot of support, and you're still trying to fill in the blanks in your healing and your memory, which is really traumatic in and of itself. But I, I know you're, you're one part of the survivor journey for our listeners. You know, not everyone is far along or starting or in the middle of or befuddled by, like, why can't I get this? And you are in a, you know, a linear part of that journey for our survivors. Um, where to from here? How are you going to continue to help yourself? And how are you going to continue to find strength and hope and healing? Sometimes I worry, like, you're not sure. And I I see, I, you know, luckily our, our listeners can't see your face, but I can. And I feel like you're not really totally sure, which is totally good. You know, like, who knows? But it's a process, right? Definitely. It, I feel like it's going to take so much more time. But I think I'm finding a lot of bravery through being vulnerable and sharing things that make me feel uncomfortable and and gross and like I'm still this 15-year-old girl trapped in this room. And I think it, it feels just so freeing to be able to to say it out loud and have people believe me. And Ava, I love how often in our interview today we've talked about the word gross. I would say to all our listeners and to you and our supporters, gross is not awful. It's not a train wreck. It's not um, the end of life. Gross is a state of mind and it's luckily temporary and we get ungross a lot of ways. We can eat chocolate. We can go sweat it out. We can go sit in a sauna. We can go we can go try to a split a handstand. We can try and like sh- like shed gross. <laughs> There are a lot of ways to show gross when we get out of our head. Because the moments I feel gross, which all survivors do, I think, to some extent, we feel gross. We feel because someone made us less than humans. And gross is a state of feeling like, oh my gosh, why am I less than human? And why am I that disgusting that I didn't get treated with respect? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's so profound and it it makes me think of this one time um, when my mom came to pick me up from my abuser's house. And this was like the first time we ever like had sex with quotations because that was, I felt so heavily coerced and afraid that night. 
And I was so scared that once I got into the car and she saw me that she would just like tell me, get out and then drive away because I'd just be that disgusting. And like, she could just tell that I, I was just so gross that she could not have me in her car anymore, but that was not the case. And I feel better than I did in that moment. I think, I think that's something. I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here and to all of our listeners. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined us to listen and learn no matter your reason for being here. This podcast is for all walks of life. For support, please visit our resources listed on takebackthenight.org website where you can tune into our upcoming events and gain access to our free legal hotline. And remember that self-care is self-love. Thank you, Kenny. Kavita, thank you for joining us, Ava. Thank you for sharing your story, your courage, and your voice. And thank you again for all of our listeners for joining us. Um, Next week, we will have another amazing, hopefully inspiring, hopefully healing, um, accessible way for you to continue your own journey with us. So thank you and take care. Together we shatter the silence and we end the violence.